At that time the Lord said unto me, Hold thee two tables out of stone, like unto the first, and come up unto me into the mount, and make thee an ark of wood. And I will write on the stones the words that were in the first tables, which thou breakest, and thou shalt put them in the ark. And I made an ark of shittim wood, and hold the two tables of stone like unto the first, and went up into the mount, having two tables in mine hand. And he wrote on the tables, according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord spake unto you in the mount, out of the midst of the fire, in the day of the assembly, and the Lord gave them unto me. And I turned myself and came down from the mount, and I put the tables in the ark which I had made, and there they be, as the Lord commanded me. You read about Moses, and you'll find so often Moses says, as the Lord commanded me. As he did what God said do. Yeah. You get to the end of the book of Exodus, they finish the tabernacle, they've got it designed, and, and it says, and all the people did all things that God commanded Moses. All of them, not the majority or two-thirds of them or three-quarters, everybody. And then what happened? The fire of God fell and filled the tabernacle because everybody had obeyed the man of God and the man of God had obeyed God. There's something to that. All right, let's keep reading. All right. Uh, where did I stop? Let's start it at verse 6. And the children of Israel took their journey from Beeroth and the children of Jacob to Moserah. There Aaron died, and there he was buried. And Eliezer his son ministered in the priest's office in his stead. From thence they journeyed unto Gugadah, and from Gugadah to Jotbath, and the land of the rivers of waters. And at that time the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister unto him, and to bless his name unto this day. Wherefore Levi hath no part in the inheritance with his brethren. The Lord is his inheritance, according as the Lord thy God promised him. And I stayed in the mount, according to the first time, forty days and forty nights. And the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also, and the Lord would not destroy thee. And that's something, you spend time with God, he'll hearken unto you. He'll listen to you. And the Lord said unto me, Arise, take thy journey before the people that they may go in and possess the land which I swear unto their fathers to give unto them. And look at verse 12 now. And now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? You understand this? God's not just like one of these senior citizen greeters at the Walmart that we can treat him the way we want to. Come in when you want something, leave when you get it, and don't come back till you want something else. But that's how so many people want to treat God. Yeah. And he's not going to have that kind of relationship with anybody. He's not going to tolerate it. And I'm telling you, I can't offer anyone that kind of relationship with God. Amen. If you don't want to obey God and do what God says, I can't help you. I got nothing to offer you. And the Bible offers you nothing. That's sad, isn't it? That's, uh, well, it's not really sad. It's just the truth. What's sad is that's what we don't want that. We want God to let us be what we want to be. All right. So what does the Lord require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God and to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul to keep his commandment, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes 
which I command thee this day for thy good. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also with all that therein is. Only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people as it is this day. You look at that verse 15 and you take that personally. God loved you, and God had to delight unto you, and God chose you. And out of all the masses of people, there's billions of people on this globe, and he came to Houston after me. Amen. You see, we take that personal. I, 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 don't, I can't imagine, can't explain for the life of me why God would. It just says that he did. See, remember that. You don't have to be able to answer all the questions about God. You just got to tell the truth. All right? So... Verse 16, verse 15, Only the Lord had delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. Don't be stubborn against God. Anybody ever been called hard-headed? Yeah. Or stubborn? Yeah. Bull-headed? Well, I'm the poster child. Well, God said don't be that way in relationship to God. There are things we need to be stubborn about. I'm going to be stubborn, stiff-necked, hard-nosed about this book. Amen. But when it comes to God, I need not be. Yeah. All right? For the Lord your... Now look at verse 17. We're going to get our thought from verse 17. All right? For the Lord your God is a God of gods and the Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and get this next word, and a terrible, which regardeth not persons nor taketh reward. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and the widow and loveth the stranger and giveth him food for raiment. Love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, thou shalt him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave and swear by his name, he is thy praise, and he is thy God, and hath done for these, these great and terrible things, which thine eyes have seen. Thy fathers went down into Egypt with threescore and ten persons. Now the Lord thy God hath made thee as the stars of heaven for multitude, therefore, 11 verse 1. Or because what you just read about God, He's the great God, He's thy God, He's the terrible God, therefore thou shalt love the Lord thy God and keep His charge and His statutes and His judgment and His commandments all way. And you can keep reading on down there. All right? I want to share with you some thoughts tonight as quickly as I can. What's so terrible about God? What's so terrible about God? Our Father, help us to understand tonight. May I speak clearly, and may I speak thy word and not my own thoughts. I pray in Christ Jesus' name, amen. amen. The Apostle John, in 1 John chapter 3, verse number 1, he said, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. God's love is wonderful. Herein is love, not that we loved God, 1 John 4, 10, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
Ephesians chapter 2, he says, God has great love and great mercy. God's forgiveness is wonderful. He says two times in the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, verse 12, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. So God's forgiveness, God's pardon of sin is wonderful. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, God is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. He's long-suffering to us. He's going to be long-suffering to us till we're all saved, all right? To me, that's a wonderful thought that God is long-suffering. God's not willing that I should perish. But, but to me, that's a very troubling verse. Remember Sennacherib came up against the children of Israel and God killed 185,000 of them in one day. Why didn't God treat me that way? See, it's grace. It's amazing love. But you see, God was willing that those people perish. It's a frightening thought. It's a sobering thought. They didn't treat me that way. Oh, Ahab is after Elijah. So he sends a captain and he's 50 after Elijah. What happens? The fire of God falls from heaven and kills that captain and he's 50. Just incinerates them right there on the spot. God was willing those men perish. Next thing you know, he sends another captain and his 50. What about old Goliath? See? Little, little kid killing. Uh, what about all those Egyptians crossing the Red Sea? You see, folks, when I read that God's not willing that, that I should perish, it's a fascinating thought. It's a humbling thought. It's a loving thought. It's a wonderful thought. But we have to understand, though God is so wonderful, though He's marvelous, the Scriptures give us several things about God that are terrible. And we have to remember this, all right? The word terrible, think about this. Uh, we find it in Scripture. 53 times in the Bible we find the word terrible. 24 refer directly to God. The word terror is found 30 times in the Bible. 12 refer directly to God. Terrify is found five times. One refers to God. The word dreadful, same Hebrew word translated terrible, is found nine times in the Bible. Four refer to God. The word fearful, again, same Hebrew word as terrible, is found eight times in the Bible. Four refer to God. That's 45 references in the scripture that refer to God as being terrible, dreadful, fearful. And we don't hear that preached very much. Romans chapter 11 verse 22 tells us, Behold therefore the goodness and severity of God. And I love to preach about the love of God. I preached from the Song of Solomon just a, a Sunday ago in our church about His love and His banner over me is love. And I've got files of sermons on the love of God and the mercy of God. So you d please don't misunderstand me tonight. God loves. Did you realize nowhere in your Bible will you find the phrase that he's a loving God? He loves. He will love. But you'll find much more that he's a just God, a holy God, a righteous God, a dreadful God, a terrible God. Psalm 99 verse 3, please. And, and again, I'm going to try to hurry. Psalm 99, verse number 3. 
I'll tell you one thing about these heaters. They work. I, I tell folks in our church, the way our church is set, we've got a big air conditioning unit above, above here, and it blows the air out there and hits about halfway. And then the air conditioning unit in the back, or heating unit in the back, and it blows about this way and hits about halfway. So if you're right here, you don't get anything. And so when our people are still, man, preacher, it's cold in here. I said, come sit right here. You know what? They ain't done it yet. I don't know. They'd just soon be cold, I guess. Let, verse 3 of Psalm 99. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. May I give you a definition of this word terrible? Just what you think terrible is. Fearful, awe-inspiring, frightening, terrifying. You see, folks, God is not this sweet old grandpa in the rocking chair waiting for us to crawl up in his lap and hug our neck. Yeah. Hmm? Or, or, or this sweet old God that's going to pat us on the back and say, that's all right, go and be a thief. Go and be a murderer. Go on be whatever you want to be. God's going to be God. Yeah. Yeah. All right? He's a great God. It says he's the terrible God. How flippantly... God's name is used. I'm a laugher. I like jokes. I like to have fun. I like to kid around. Uh, I just met her tonight. I was, I was picking on Kendra a little bit earlier. She came by here a second time, and I did manage to remember her name. I said, won't you sit down? Quit making so much racket. You know, and she didn't make a sound. I was just picking on her. All right? So I like to pick. I like to have fun. And Jake and I, and bro, I every time me, me and Brother Ronnie got together today, I start telling the jokes. I like to laugh. But we're, as a country, if we're not careful, we're going to comedian ourselves into apostasy. Here's a point. I got to watching one of these sitcom shows. Y'all, any of y'all familiar with that program called Friends? Any of y'all? Well, I, I was watching that one time, and it hit me, and so I started counting how many times they said on that program, Oh, my God. They weren't talking to God, with God, for God, or about God. If you're not talking to God, with God, for God, and about God, you leave his name out of your talk. Amen. His name, the Bible says, is terrible. It's awesome. Uh, Philippians 2 tells us the day is coming at the name of Jesus Christ. Every knee on this globe is going to bow. Yeah. Amen. Well, then let's do our bowing now. Let's reverence the holy name of God. Amen. Colossians tells us whatever you do, do all in the name of God. In the name of the Lord. Isn't that something? My brother-in-law is a very humorous but very dry-witted guy, and he's, real, he's much sharper in his thinking than I am. I, I'm envious of that. But he was out visiting one time, and a guy says, visiting a man's home, you can't tell me anywhere in the Bible where it tells me it's sin for me to drink a cold beer or a, or a hard drink. Brother Land said, all right, go to the refrigerator and get your beer. So the man goes, gets his beer and sets it down there, and so Brother Land says, now drink that in Jesus' name. You understand? It's supposed to govern the name of God. It's supposed to motivate and govern and control and sanctify everything I do. I was driving one time and 
big highway there in Arlington, and then a guy cut me off, and I was so mad. Oh, good, you talk about road rage. I'm the poster child, and I'm not bragging. But I, I mean, I was just ready to get that fella to the side of the road for a little fellowship, and uh, I, I was just frustrated, you know. All of a sudden, our youngest son, Joel, about Jake's age, Joel says to me, hey, Dad, you're in the church van. The name of Jesus Christ is supposed to govern everything I do. His name is terrible. Let's go on quickly. Psalm 68, please, verse 35. Psalm 68 and verse number 35. O God, thou art terrible out of thy holy places. The God of Israel is he that giveth strength and power unto his people. Blessed be God. God's terrible in his holiness. Now what is holy? It's not being sinless. That's sinless. Holy is not being righteous. Righteous is righteous. If you study this word holy, it's God's distinction. It's that's what it's one writer calls it God's otherness. It's that which separates God from me. It's that which differentiates between God and humanity. He's not a man. He's above sin, above everything that causes sin. He is holy, and it's terrible holiness. By terrible, it's fearful. Yeah. It's awesome. He's not, just again, this sweet old grandpa figure that we want him to be sometime. All right, let's go to the book of Exodus. You don't have to turn there. I'll run you through it for time's sake, if I can. Exodus chapter 15 the Pharaoh has finally decided he's going to let the children, of go, the children of Israel escape out of Egypt. He turns them loose, changes his mind. Forget it. I'm not letting them go. Let's go get them, and we're going to kill every last one of them. So you read it. And the children of Israel are, are escaping Egypt. The Egyptians are coming behind them, and they're, they're dead set to eliminate them. They're going to annihilate the entire race of people. On the one side is the mountain ranges, on the other side is the wilderness, the Red Sea is right in front of them, and here comes the Egyptians behind them. Well, God opens up the Red Sea. I was reading an article in a, while, a while back in National Geographic. I understand the Red Sea is a diver's paradise. I'm not a diver, but I understand the Red Sea is. And a bunch of divers went down a certain place in the Red Sea, and guess what they found? A whole bunch of chariot parts. The Bible says God broke the chariots that they dragged fast in the sand and God turned the Red Sea loose on the Egyptians and drowned every last one of them. Why didn't God treat me that way down Houston? Why didn't God eliminate me when I was a rebel? Why hasn't he eliminated me between now and then? His great love and grace. But in God's holiness, he's terrible. So Moses writes the song of redemption there in Exodus 15. And verse number 11, he says, Who is a God like unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? The word fearful is the same word translated terrible. God's terrible in his holiness. We better understand it's awe-inspiring. I have for the screen cover, or whatever you call it, on my phone, uh, a picture of my grandson, Wyatt, when, just five years ago when he was a little bitty kid. He's sitting on a big axis buck, 
that I had just shot. And the church for my 10th anniversary, I don't know what's the matter with them, but they love me. And for my 10th anniversary, they bought me a guided hunt to hunt an axis deer. And I shot that dude. Now, if you don't like shooting deer, I'm going to hurt your feelings. All right? But anyway, they bought me that hunt, and I, I shot that thing. And grandson Wyatt right there was more important than shooting the deer. He was right there when I pulled the trigger. And he said, oh, poppy, that was awesome. <laughs> well, I, Different word when God says stand in awe. and it, What we use awesome today is, man, that was exciting. That was fascinating. Poppy, that was great. No. Awesome, when it's talk about God, it's... Do you understand what I mean by... Something to be afraid of. This is fearful. I can't live in God's world the way I want to. So many people think, they, can you do that way at work? Can you go to, work to, can you go to your job and work the way you want to work? Can you get on the highway and drive the way you want to drive? I joke about it all the time. If I could afford it, my vehicle of choice would be bright yellow with black print on it. It would say Caterpillar. <laughs> I'd be driving one of them up and down the highways in, in Arlington and Grand Bray. Oh, you're going to cut me off? <laughs> you know. I know, y'all just drive all over the place with both hands on the horns of the altar all the time. <laughs> and y'all never get frustrated with anybody, all right? Well, you need to come ride with me a time or two, all right? <laughs> and don't worry, if you're riding with me, the highway patrolman's, highway patrolman's never far away. He just seems to just <laughs> kick in right behind me. We'll get him in a minute, just, just hold on. God's holiness is terrible. The cherubim cover their faces at the holiness of God. God's people approach the house of God in the Psalms. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. Today, people approach the things of God, the people of God, the house of God, after the dictates of their own comfort, pleasures, and convenience. God's holy. Job 37, verse number 22, the word of God says, With God is terrible majesty. By majesty, we think of a brilliance that is so bright, so spectacular, it would consume us if God was not merciful. Moses says in Exodus 33, Show me thy glory. God says, no man can see the glory of God and live. Why? Because the glory of God is so brilliant. I worked for a little while at a job in Houston as a welder's helper. And we were welding some aluminum box things. I don't know what they were. I just know they were aluminum. And we were, I was the help, welder's helper. And the welder was welding with some stuff called argon gas. I don't know what all that is. I just know I helped the men weld with it. I had to wear a plastic shield that you could look up at the hot sun in, in the summertime just through that plastic shield. I had to wear that under a regular dark welding helmet. I had to wear both of them. And this guy would start welding that stuff, and it was so bright. And they said, you have to have both those shields on because it'll blind you. I'm talking about a brilliance, a majesty that would execute us if it weren't for the grace of God. Now you go to the New Testament. What is it? Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, folks, because of Jesus Christ, 
the majesty of God's not going to execute me. Because I have Christ in my heart and I'm in his heart. You see, so now we can approach God and, and the majesty is not going to kill us. But what about this world that cares nothing about God? Has no interest in God. Oh, they talk about God. The brother and I were talking about it earlier. We're living in a society of Christless Christianity. They've got a Christ that'll let them do what they want to do, give what they want to do, be what they want to be, come as often as they want to come. They can give whatever they want to give and call it a tithe. You know, I was a lousy mathematics student in high school, but by George, I can get a, a calculator and divide anything by 10 and figure out a tithe. Now, I'm going to leave here directly, y'all, but you know, peace and quiet will come back on you. But I, I, I want you to understand something, folks. We're living in a society that's carved, we've taken the pocket knives of our imagination, and we've carved out a God that'll let us bargain with him. Yeah, that's right. And there's no such God in the Bible. He's terrible in his holiness. He's terrible in his majesty. He's, he, he's terrible in, in his covenant. In the book of Nehemiah, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. I remember that from my mother teaching me the books of the Bible. I'm so grateful there in Houston. To me, Houston is the awfulest place I've ever been to on the globe. Now, if you like Houston, I might hurt your feelings. And not intentionally, but I, I just don't like Houston. And I'm so glad God delivered me out of Houston with all of its filth and sin. But I think of all those fellows I went to high school with that God did not deliver. But he delivered me. What grace. What, what mercy that God would do. Oh, oh it's because I was so much better than all of them. I was a musician. I had a big, strong voice. I was a good, baloney. There were guys bigger than me, had better voices. And they sure better looking. <laughs> Fella said to me a while back, he said, man, you so ugly, the tears run down your back. They wouldn't sure go down your face. <laughs> all right. Nehemiah, please. Chapter 1, verse 5. I said, I beseech thee, Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandment. God's covenant is terrible. His word, his promise. It's gracious, it's wonderful, it's marvelous to those that hear him, to those that listen to him, that those that obey him, it promises wrath and damnation and condemnation and destruction and misery to those that will forsake God and shake their fist in God's face. Remember, Sennacherib thought he was a big Joe. And God, study it, God killed 185,000 of them in one day. That's more than died at either one of the atomic bombs, Hiroshima or Nagasaki, in World War II. Imagine that. Together, there weren't 185,000 killed in Japan. Think about, think about, and one day, you see, and then we're living in a, remember just a few years ago, there was that tsunami out in the deep Indian Ocean? An earthquake happens way out in the deep ocean that causes this great tidal wave tsunami that comes on, and what happened? 200,000 people lost their lives. Now, according to the word of God, God controls all of the earthquakes and the oceans. God was not pacing back and forth in heaven going, oh, my soul, what's going to happen? Get the high ground, boys. It's fixing to get wet. Yeah. 
God's in control of all of that. Ever so often, God shows us he's God. And we're going to deal with God. And we're going to have to face God. And we better understand that God is not this sweet old grandpa. Our grandson Wyatt that I talk about and brag about so much, he's almost as tall as I am now. But he was four years old. He's in our living room one time, threw a softball inside the house. I said, Wyatt, don't throw that softball in the house. Threw it again. I said, Wyatt, don't throw that softball in the house. Threw it a third time. I said, Wyatt, don't throw that softball in the house. Threw it again. So I snatched him up and whipped him. My <laughs> wife said, I can't believe that you can spank your grandson. I said, try there and watch. I'll make a believer out of you. <laughs> You know, I, I, I said, and I, I, yeah, you can't tolerate that. I said, I can't let that boy get by with what, with what his dad wouldn't let him get by with. So I told her, I said, I'm not doing watch. I'll make a believer out of you. I want you to understand something. But we got the same attitude towards God. God says do or God says don't. And we keep doing and don'ting. I know the grammar of that's not accurate, but just bear with me, all right? God help us to understand God's terrible in his covenant. That refers to his word. Yes. Uh, my fellowship with your pastor has, has grown intensely over these years because he'll stand with the book. Amen. And he'll stay with the book. That, that's, that I'm telling you folks, you can believe him. It's God's book. I've preached it and studied it and wrestled with it and worked with it and argued with it for 44 years now. It's the book. Amen. It's the one to use. These guys will try to, you know what I noticed the other day? I started studying and researching. I did not find one time in the Bible, not one time when Jesus Christ, the apostles, the prophets, or anybody ever referred to the original manuscripts. That's not in there any, any time. You go to the book of Proverbs chapter 25 and you'll find these are Proverbs of Solomon which the men of Hezekiah copied out. So even that's not the original. It's, it's a lot of intellectual baloney. They're trying to make themselves sound so intellectual. Now, I've got the extra degrees, and I've been to the college, and, and I'm not bragging, I'm just telling you. And I've seen these guys that, you know, stay with your book. Trust the Word of God. And stay with it. And stay with your pastor that'll keep preaching it to you and tell you you got the right Bible. I'm telling you, you and, and there's too much. Look here, folks. On this phone, or if you've got an, an iPhone or an Android phone or, phone or one of these tablet things, an iPad or a, a computer now, you, you, don't, you don't even have to push buttons anymore. You just touch the screen. It, it can take you to more books than I have in the, in the shelves in my office, books that I've been collecting for 40 years. There's more than, in, in Bible study programs right, right here on this phone. I take it to the deer blind with me. I've started denoting some of my sermons, DB, deer blind sermons, sermons that I've developed in, in the deer blinds. I, some of the best preaching I've ever done, I got in a deer blind, all right? And they said, yeah, it sounds like you got it out in the woods somewhere. <laughs> you should have left it there. But... Uh, Anyway, folks, it's too easy to research. These new translations are selling and they're making money. 
That's it. That is the bottom line. You say, you're just cynical. That's just, no, it's not. That's the truth. Do the research. Yes. Prove all things. That's what it is. God's covenant is terrible. God's sovereign omnipotence, his power is terrible. Psalm 66, I'm hurrying. I tell our church, we're nearing the shore. It's just a big lake. All right. Psalm 66, verse number one. To the chief musician, a song or psalm. Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Sing forth the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Now, folks, I'm going to chase the rabbit a little bit right here. The, the idea of singing, the word sing. How, how many of you ever sing and you're a little bit concerned about people hearing you? Any honest people here? Abandon that. Okay? I'm trying to help you now. I'm just telling you what the word... God's not hard of hearing like me. But he wants us to, the, the idea of singing here is sing from our hearts. Sing with our souls. Church I pastored years and years and years ago, we lost our building due to the financial mismanagement of the previous pastor. I, had, I just came in afterwards and kind of batted cleanup, so to speak. We had to find a place to, to worship. And I preached a funeral just the other day, but Danny and Judy Bonner says, you can meet in our garage. She died of breast cancer, and they let me preach. She said, I don't care what happens where we go. You'll always be our preacher. There's some more great people like the Hoggins. But anyway, they said, you can, you can meet in our garage. Some of the best church I ever had was in a 20 by 20 garage. Family wanted to join the church one time. They could not come down the aisle because they was right there. 20 by 20. I mean, they're right here. I'm preaching away. And, and they wanted to join the church. They just stuck their hand out. <laughs> we were that packed. We were that close. But one day I'm just singing away. And I look out there. Our son Joel's doing this here. <laughs> I find I just quit. I, Joel, what's the matter with you? What are you doing? You're singing too loud, Daddy. Well, see, I enjoy singing. God's not hard of hearing. But what that means is sing to God. Sing like God right beside you. He better be. We're in a bad shape if he's not. And God's not hard of hearing like I am. My wife tells me sometimes, you have selective hearing loss. I said, not selective enough. That didn't help me any. You know. You, you ladies ever tell your husbands how to drive? Any, any of y'all? I told my wife one time, I said, Dinah, why do you tell me how to drive? I said, I've drove truck all over this country. I've backed up further than you've drove forward. <laughs> and she said, what's that make you, God? <laughs> I said, what are you, some kind of bird hunter? I said, every time I get up in the air strutting around, you shoot me down. <laughs> 44 years she's put up with me or I've put up with her. But uh, thank God for her mercy. God sovereign in his power. Sing unto God. Verse 3. Say unto God, how terrible art thou in thy works. Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. Look at things the power of God has done. Tsunamis, earthquakes, the beast. 
Look, uh, I mean, the, the lice, the frogs, the, the whales, the roosters, the storms, all of these things that stops the sun, turns the sun back so many degrees. I, I, I'm a, I love hunting and I love, I watch the Animal Channel all the time on TV. And I was watching this Natural Geographic program that here the other day, and they're trying so hard to figure out why the sharks have started eating so many people. And they said, and I, when, when that, remember that movie Jaws that came out? And I sat there and watched that. I was a little bit concerned that the boy, my, Chris and Joel, were little bitty. I was afraid they'd be scared afterwards, have nightmares. They were sad when they killed the shark. <laughs> we wanted him to eat some more people. <laughs> That's my wife's sons. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32. Let me read something for you. Deuteronomy 32, if my thumbs can, verse 21, they have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities, and I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people, and I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled in mine anger and shall burn until the lowest hell and shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundations of the mountains and I will heap mischiefs on them and I will send mine arrows upon them and they shall be burnt with hunger and devoured with burning heat and with bitter destruction. Now look at this next phrase. And I, I will also send the teeth of beast upon them and the poison of serpents of the dust, the sword without and terror within, shall destroy both young man and the virgin, the suckling also, and the man of gray hairs. You wonder why we're getting so many poisonous bugs and poisonous snakes, and the sharks are eating everybody, and the, the wild dogs in every city in this country, have, big cities, have got problems with packs of wild dogs turning against people. We've quit selling furs, and so now every city in this country has got a raccoon and a fox and a, and a, a coyote problem. Every city and every metropolitan city in this country. And then that's spreading rabies like crazy. Why? Because people are living in God's world without God, and God's turning the animals against them. But yet we can... We can rob God, be dishonest in our finances, be unfaithful in our attendance. We can not read his word. What if, what if I told my precious wife, Diana, oh, Diana, I love you, but it's hunting season. Make me some sandwiches and get out of the way. Oh, I love you. I know you need to go here and do this, and your car needs this attention. Oh, Diana, I love you, but no. And I'm going to go do this and that and the other. And that's the way we're treating God. We're going to come to church when we want to go to church. We're going to wear what we want to wear. We're going to design the music the way we want to design it. We're going to design the worship service the way we want to design it. And God just better like it. And so we wonder why the whole, why everything you eat's killing you. Well, quit eating salt. Quit eating eggs. A few years later, they tell you, you better start eating some eggs. You need some salt. You know, you know, it's craziness. Why? We've turned against God. And we've forgotten God's going to be God. And God's going to do what he said. Ornery and 
aggravator that I am, I'm so glad that everybody that told me they were going to whip me didn't. I'm very thankful for that, but I want you to understand something. If God tells me he's going to deal with my sin, he's going to deal with my sin. Or yours. Or my grandchildren. His sovereign omnipotence is power. In the book of Job, I've come across a verse that I'm working on, and I think I'm correct on this, and I believe it's referring to God himself. He's called Job 18, verse 14, the king of terrors. We're living in a society today that's not afraid of God. They got a God that everybody loves. He's, he's a good Lord. He's the good man upstairs. He, he loves everybody. Then what do they have to worry about? Just keep living. God loves me. John 3, 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's me, my grandchildren, whoever else I meet up and down this world. If they're not being obedient to God, don't believe in God, the wrath of God abides on them. Something to think, isn't it? Something to remember. Let's hurry on. The book of Joel, chapter 2. Just a couple of thoughts here yet. The book of Joel, chapter number 2. No wonder that didn't look right. Is Job. I was preaching one time. I was just going at it. Man, I was having a big time. I was just preaching up a storm, I thought. And everybody's out there laughing. I said, what? Finally, I just stopped. What is the matter with you people? I'm preaching my heart out and trying to be serious. And y'all laughing at me. And they said, well, preacher, Job never was in the ark. I was preaching about Noah and the ark, but I got Job and Noah mixed up, and I was saying Job all the time instead of Noah. And I said, y'all not right. Y'all need to stay with me. You know what I'm trying to do. And God just does those things to keep us humble, all right? Job chapter 2, all right? Verse number 31. Verse 30. And I will show wonders in the heavens, And in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Some 300 plus times in the Bible we're told God's coming. You heard about the young preacher was preaching in a very crowded building and he was trying to make a good impression and he He charged the pulpit and he says, Behold, I come quickly. Nothing happened. And he backed up again and he says, Behold, I come quickly. And nothing happened. He tried it a third time. He says, Behold, I come quickly. And he went too far and pushed the pulpit over and rolled right over and fell in the lady's lap right in the front row. And he was so embarrassed and he got up and fixed himself, and oh ma'am, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. She said, all right, I should have been ready. You told me three times you was coming. (laughs) Well, the Lord has warned us and warned us and warned us that he's coming. Are we ready? Are we ready for the Lord to come? I went to the front door, the doorbell rang one time there in Lancaster, and I go to the door and answer the door, and there stands at the door my brother's, how are you going to say this? Well, it's my brother's 
I guess it was his stepdaughter and her husband and kids. I'd seen them once or twice in my life. Barely knew, and there they are at the door. Huh? How are you? They said, oh yeah, we're all coming over to your house tonight. My wife and her sister at the grocery store. And she said, Granny and Grandpa are coming up from Houston, coming to your house tonight. They're going to do what? I said, y'all come on in. I'm going to go find my wife. I went to the grocery store. I said, guess what? <laughs> like that movie, guess who's coming to supper? And she said, do what? I said, all these people are coming and to our house, and they're going to be there when you get home with these groceries, and you know your house is not ready, and nobody gave you a word that they're coming. My mother was supposed to call you and didn't. And, she, and I thought she'd just go live it. She said, oh, well. I thought, Gomer Powell, you know, she'll say, surprise, 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 you know. So anyway, we had no idea that he's coming. God told us he's coming. We better be ready. Be prepared. Get, Amos chapter 4, verse 12, prepare to meet thy God. We talk about, oh, it's going to be such a wonderful thing when the Lord comes. Oh, yeah? When the Bible says it's going to be a terrible time. Something to think about. It'll be glad, it'll be wonderful for us to leave this old nasty world. But folks, there's going to be destruction and wrath and judgment like this world has never seen. And we better be ready. His day of his return. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, the word of God says to you who are troubled when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of his truth, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. There is a terrible, glorious God high in heaven and he's coming back to make things right in this world. We better understand that and we live before him and we breathe his good air every day of our lives. He allows our hearts to beat. He allows us to live. It's, now, this may disturb you. I've never been a country music fan. Okay, don't start throwing stuff. I'm, I'm finishing up. Really, I am. And one reason I'm so hard of hearing because I used to play the little rock music. And there used to be a song out in the late 60s, It's Your Thing, Do What You Want to Do. Never been a bigger lie told. See, this is God's world. The Bible says, what? No, you're not. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, in your spirit, which are His. I've never been drunk a day in my life. Never taken an illegal drug. I never have smoke unless I caught fire. I did set myself on fire one time. Accidentally, it wasn't on purpose. But I did it anyhow. And smoke. Anyway, I don't know where that came from. Nutsville. All right. But I want you to understand something, folks. I've never abused my body with those things, but I beat my body half to death in athletics. So I don't ever look down my nose at somebody that smoked or drinked or had a drank or had had a had a drug problem. Got artificial knees, had my shoulder worked on, both wrists, both hands worked on, my neck needs worked on. 
and all because I was going to go to the National Basketball Association and be a professional basketball player. See? Went to a college tryout, and they said, you're too short. They said, we don't need any more 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, Come back here when you grow up, about 6'9", six, 6'10". Six, I said, see you later. <laughs> but anyway, I tore my body up trying to be a basketball player. This God, I didn't know about honoring God with my body in them days, those days. I didn't know anything about it. That doesn't alleviate, I, I, ignorance is not an excuse. You get that? Romans chapter 1 tells us we're without excuse. This is God's world. He created us last tonight. Believe it or not, there is an end to this. Jesus Christ, the glorious Son of God, took all of this terror in our place. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. By his stripes we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He took my sin as his own. Try to think about that. Not just me. Think about the millions. Of, according to the book of the Revelation, it's a number of people that cannot be numbered. Think about this. He lost his innocence. Jesus Christ taking this terror. God made, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us. God made him become guilty of my sin. Hebrews 2, 9, he tasted death for every man. You think about these horrible sinners. You know, the newscast, the news channels will never tell you this. Jeffrey Dahmer, that cannibal monster of a man, was converted in prison. If you'll do the research, you can find that out. And they, they, his last interview before he was executed, they, they shut it off when he started talking about the grace of God forgiving his sin. And he said, if you shut that off, I'll never allow Never sign off to let this interview be published. Let's see. The most monstrous person you can imagine, Christ Jesus became that sin. The terror of God. He cries out in the crucifixion. He lost his innocence. He lost his relationship with the Holy Father. You don't think God is terrible? Look what he did to his son for my sin. Our oldest son played in a little college basketball. He was a better athlete of any of us. He's not but about 5'10". If he was as tall as I am, he'd have played big-time basketball. He was that kind of jumper. But I went to watch him play one time. The other team was a college from Missouri. They had two, three guys on the court, a guy 7'3", a guy 7'0", and a guy 6'10". And there's my son out there at 5'10". I'm sitting in the, in, the, in the stands with our youngest son. I said, get ready to get embarrassed. He said, what are you talking about? I said, if they hurt him, I'm going out there. I don't care what, I bought a ticket. By George, I said, if they hurt him, I'm going out there, the big goons. He was running out there coming up to their jerseys, but he could jump over their heads and he embarrassed a fool out of them. It was the craziest thing you ever heard of. But I went about to sit there and let my son get hurt by a bunch of giants. Well, look what God let his son to go through to take my terror. So how do we respond to this, folks? What do we do? What are we to do? 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe it's verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We've got to tell people the truth about God. Most people in this world have got no idea that this kind of God is presented in the scripture. And we have got to persuade them. It didn't say invite them. It said persuade them. We're going to have to interrupt their thinking. We're going to have to change their plans. We're going to have to be an inconvenience to them. And then kneel before this high and holy and terrible God. Come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me, this I know. He gave himself to die for me because he loves me so. And I worship him. And I bow before him. And I know he's an awesome God. He's God to be feared. And he's God to be obeyed. He's God to be uh, reverenced. A word I'm noticing in scriptures and I'm finding amazing how many times I'm finding this word recompense in the Bible. Notice it as you're reading. Recompense. Allotting exact justice. Allotting exact justice. That's God. He's not going to let us off. County sheriff stopped me for speeding when I was driving that Peterbilt truck coming out of Houston one time immediately in front of the Huntsville Penitentiary, <laughs> if you can imagine. Stopped me for speeding. And I began to give him sob story. You know, I mean, I'm just trying to make a living here, you know, blah, 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 blah. He said, hey, I told you I was going to let you go. Don't start trying to give me a bunch of your baloney excuses. <laughs> yes, sir. For your point, preacher, don't give God a bunch of baloney excuses. What are excuses? Lies we want God to believe. And he sees through all of it. Let's worship God. He's an awesome God. He loves us. He's merciful to us. He forgives our sin. The Bible says they'll mention, be mentioned against us never again. But he's God. And he's to be obeyed. He's to be reverenced. He's to be respected. And he'll have mercy on us. Hello friends, this is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But 
verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13, he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him.